The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And you betcha we are at it once again. Welcome to the show. John Schools here. Chris Justice is uh, alongside. He's going to be doing all the uh, the heavy lifting on the show over the next hour. Courtesy Sanfiru to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Check it out for yourself. It's real easy to do that. You can always reach out to Chris when the show is not happening here on air. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website to be used anytime uh, for you to learn more and reach out as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But here now live. Phones ready and open here just shortly after 10 o'clock on a Saturday. And uh, you can bring it on with your questions for Chris if something all week has been bothering you about your workplace. Maybe it's something where you're not sure if you have any uh, rights or not, where you stand. Maybe a basic severance question. That's cool. Those are still uh, those are still good to have 11 years in of doing this show, right? So bring that on. We're going to get to five facts uh, to know about wrongful dismissal, maybe employee resignations. And if we got time in between those two topics and the phone calls, we might snag an email or two. But uh, we'll see how the morning plays out. Anyway, case of the day is how we start. Chris, what's going on, brother? Yeah, I thought I'd start by bringing up a pretty familiar topic, uh, at least in my line of work, that having to do with performance improvement plans. I still get calls and, and talk to many people on a regular basis where they've either been put on a PIP or they're about to be put on a PIP. They're very concerned. You know, what are my rights? What are my options? What does this all mean? Does it mean I'm getting fired? So I, I thought it was important to kind of go back over this idea. A PIP, of course, being something where, you know, an employer thinks there can be an improvement to the performance of one or more of its employees. Uh, there's areas to improve upon, so the employer puts this plan in place um, and ideally is supposed to be providing the employee with what they need to, to get better to improve their performance. Um, performance improvement plans can be somewhat different than a bad performance review. I know a lot of times people will look at a PIP and inherently think that it means they've performed poorly, which always isn't the case. Um, obviously, it's not generally good to get a PIP if you're an employee, and, and for the most part, I find people are taken aback at the very least by, by receiving something like that. It's not pleasant. But it is sometimes technically different from a poor or negative performance review. Um, and so I thought it would be important to kind of go through, you know, if you're given a PIP, what, uh, what things you should look out for, what steps you need to take. Because in a lot of cases, performance improvement plans are a step towards a termination for cause. You know, the employer is trying to essentially say that we've tried other things. These things haven't worked. We've given you ample time. Nothing has really changed. And here's, their, here's your PIP. Um, but when this happens, and I say this all the time, it's very important if you're given a PIP to disagree if there is an issue that you have with that PIP. You don't want to be silent. You don't want to certainly sign off on something saying you accept the criticism if there's some objection on your end. You want to state maybe if the goals themselves are unreasonable. You want to state if there's any actual lies put in the PIP as far as your criticisms are concerned. Um, and, and you want to put this all in writing yourself. You want to send something to your employer in writing, in an email, in a letter, um, even if they don't respond and say, you're right, we're going to back off from this. Even if they don't respond at all, at least you have a record of your objection because 
as I said, if you're silent or you sign something saying you've agreed to the contents of the PIP, it's going to be next to impossible to go back later on and try to reverse that damage. And the employer is going to be able to essentially say, you know, you've agreed with us. And so when it comes time to a termination, it might make it, as I say, that much more difficult for you to kind of get some recourse in that scenario. But um, yeah, like I say, this is a very common situation. Um, a lot of people are silent or they come to me not responding at all and it can be definitely a, a problem. Um, but you want to make sure that you note your objection on the record um, so that if your employer is trying to rely on something later on to build a case against you, it's going to be difficult for them to do so. Um, you got to speak to an employment lawyer as well. If you've been approached with a PIP, I think it's very important. As soon as you get a PIP, to contact an employment lawyer, an experienced one, get some advice on what you should be doing, what you should be saying, because there is sometimes a very methodical approach that you'd need to take to best protect your own interests, should something, God forbid, happen later on that's negative. And obviously, if you're someone who's been let go while um, you've been on a PIP or after you've been placed on a PIP, um, there's a very good chance that if your employer is trying to deny you severance for that reason or lowball you in some sense, that you're going to be looking at a lot more money there. And, and again, all the more reason to get an employment lawyer um, on the phone and, and at least discuss the situation with that person. And as I mentioned, uh, anytime you want to reach out to Chris, if that sounds familiar or not, you can do so. one 855 but uh, we're going to continue on here. Sean, first one out of the gate this morning. How are you? Good. Uh, got uh, let go on August 11th. I haven't signed my offer yet. I've been, uh, I actually think it's a pretty good offer. I was there for 22 years with one of the big three telecoms in Canada after a merger with another telecom out west. I'm sure you know who that is, the big red machine. Uh, uh, so I was there 22 years. They offered me 88 weeks uh, compensation. I got my full year's bonus. Um, I have my, uh, I guess, my medical and everything up until the end of the year. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, is that a pretty good offer? Uh, should I counter at, say, they gave me 88. Should I counter at 98 weeks? Yeah, I first of all, I appreciate the call. Uh, it's a good question. It's always good to know whether or not a package is fair and reasonable. Most of the time, it's not. Uh, 22 years in, um, the number of weeks you said I calculated as being a little over 20 months, which I will say for what it's worth, especially when it comes to packages, initial packages that I see, it's a relatively yep. good offer. Um, I, I think that there may be some merit in giving us a call, having a consultation set up. There could be some movement still to come. Um, yep. But the most generally anyone can get in this country is 24 months, assuming that they've been let go without cause, you know, through no fault of their own sort of situation like yours. Um, yep. So that's one thing to consider, I think. And then the other thing to consider as well, a lot of times people are given severance packages. Sometimes they're being given money just up front, no strings attached. Here's a lump sum payment on your way. And then there's that's other structures... Doing. That's what they're doing, yeah. So, and there's other structures yeah. where employers will just keep you on payroll, let's say for 20 months. And they'll say something along the lines of, you know, if you find a job, uh, yeah. you know, I before want the, the end. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if I talk to somebody and they say, they say to me, you know, Chris, I've been let go. Uh, I've been given a, a decent package. Maybe there's some movement still to come, but it's relatively decent. But I'm really confident or I'm really optimistic. I'm going to find another job to replace this one. Uh, you know, within a relatively short period of time, maybe a few months or whatnot. 
Um, that that's going to be a factor that I look into or that I consider when trying to assess whether a package is fair. Because of course, if you can secure a package that's a certain number of months, but know that it only takes you a fraction of that time to find a job that's comparable, then in that scenario, you actually might be getting more money than the law would typically allow for. So the future somewhat affects things, but yeah, I would say I'm relatively speaking. Sorry. I'm pretty much considering retiring, and I have a colleague that was there one more year than me, and. He negotiated, and they settled at a hundred weeks. Yeah, so so even in cases where the package is still relatively high, there still sometimes yep. can be room for movement. And if you can get an extra month, two or three, um, plus perhaps an additional bonus payment or the continuation of your benefits for a longer period of time, there's definitely yep. value to be had there. Of course, you're not going to know 100% until you make contact or the lawyer does with the company. But okay. yeah, in a lot of cases, uh, companies are still interested in resolving matters without it going further themselves. You know, they don't want the headache. And oftentimes, you know, that alone is an incentive enough to, to come up in the offer and, um, yeah, just get that much more for the employee. Well, it seems like, uh, everyone that was let go in August and September was, uh, high tenure employees, like everyone with 20 years plus, uh, yeah, working for the company. So, you know, like <laughs> it was, it's pretty disgusting on what they're doing to long tenure employees, but uh, I can't be mad about it. It is a business, and I think the offer is pretty good, but I'll definitely give you guys a ring. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, obviously, for longer tenured employees, you're looking at the higher end of the severance package. Um, and as I say, there could be other aspects of the package over that you know number of month period that, that could be valuable that are not being included right now. But okay. um, I appreciate your, your comment, obviously, that the way in which people are let go, a lot of people do think that they, you know, they, they've been let go sort of under bad faith reasons, but need to understand that for the most part, as long as employers are not discriminating against you directly, you know, say on the, on the basis of your, the color of your skin or your, your gender, or your sexual orientation, they're given a very wide latitude to let people go for a whole host of different reasons. But the and key they actually thing, gave me a letter stating that it wasn't my performance. It was due to right. restructuring and a merger. I was a good employee. Um, so they did offer that as well. I had outstanding uh, year-end reviews. I exceeded all, like the last four years, right. I exceeded all my reviews. So I think they took that into consideration <clears> with my package as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people need to understand that just because someone has been let go doesn't mean that that has to negatively reflect on them as a person, especially if you've got the backing of your employer who let you go when it comes to things like performance. Sean, appreciate the call, pal. I know you're going to reach out to Chris after the show. Smartly done. It's going to be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Short break here, and we encourage you to uh, do like Sean did. It's that simple, right? We continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we're back at it. Schools here along with Chris Justice from San Fury to Mark and LLP. And uh, there you go. We're uh, ready to answer more of your questions. Thank you again, Sean, for calling in. In the meantime, let's get into our, uh, well, one or two main topics for the show today, Chris. That is five facts to know about a wrongful dismissal. Number one fact is this, and expand on it. A wrongful dismissal is related to severance, not the reason. That's not the wrongful, not the reason for termination, right? Yeah, so there's often a misunderstanding when it comes to the term wrongful dismissal. Um, most people, or at least a lot of people that I come into contact with, believe that, 
um, you know, because the reason for which they were let go was not to their liking or their satisfaction, or maybe may not even have made sense. Uh, maybe it's just because there's a clash of personalities and, and they were the ones that, that got hit with it. Um, you know, like I say, it doesn't even have to be necessarily the best business reason. A lot of these uh, cases come to me and people think, well, you know, that uh, reason's terrible. It doesn't make sense. I've been there forever. How can I be let go under these circumstances? And actually, the, the previous caller, Sean, somewhat alluded to this. There, there was some suggestion that, that the reasoning behind the termination wasn't maybe to everyone's liking. And, and that could be very well the case. But that doesn't normally mean that the dismissal itself is therefore wrongful. Usually the wrongful aspect in a lot of cases comes when someone has been let go without cause, maybe due to a restructuring, or maybe it's because of a clash of personalities, or again, not the best reason, but maybe not something you know discriminatory, of course. Um, but they've been let go in that sense. Now the issue is how much severance do they get? And, it's, and, and when the term wrongful dismissal gets thrown about, a lot of times it's actually meant to apply to the idea that someone's not being given a reasonable package. You know, fair enough, you've let me go. There's no such thing as guaranteed work for life. But I've been a long-term service employee with you guys. I've been there for 20 years, and I'm only being given, say, seven months. You know, there, there's an issue with wrongfulness there when it comes to a 20-year employee only being offered that much, when in most cases they're probably looking at 18, 19, 20 months. So that's more so what the wrongful dismissal means, but it's not to say that the manner that, that someone's let go in can't be wrongful. Um, as I say, there can be discriminatory reasons for, for why someone's let go, and, and that is also, in a sense, a wrongful dismissal. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of clear up the idea that you know your employer has to have this solid reason or you know long documented performance issues that are you know uncontestable, you know sort of thing. So. It's uh, it's inter an interesting point you made there, and it was something I was going to bring up with Sean before we went into break. And you said, you know, at, you know, at first glance, the uh, twenty or whatever it was twenty months or twenty whatever weeks he got severance from the job looked good. Yeah, but I guess on on paper, or at least from the you know, from twenty thousand feet, that looks okay. But I guess you'd have to dig down into that severance offer and make sure. It's not just money over that length of time. The length of time might be okay, right? But it might not contain all components of his compensation, whether he got bonuses, car rent, you know, all that stuff needed to be there as well, right? Even though the, the plain number as far as salary might be okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, on the face of it, looks good. A month, let's say, for every year I've been there or maybe even more than that. But then, yeah, when you delve into it, you realize, oh, they're calculating my, my wages on the last 12 weeks that I was there. And so actually 20 months to them is, you know, 50K, whereas, you know, I was of the understanding that it's 100. And so sometimes there may not even be dollar amounts listed in the termination letter, and it just refers to a number of weeks or a number of months, and you don't even know what's going on there. But then, yeah, there are other times where they will say, you know, here's a number of months, here's what the value is, someone calls me, and says, hey, Chris, I don't understand. In the last three years on my T4s, I've been making, you know, a quarter million dollars, but, you know, they're saying this severance package is valued at, you know, whatever it is. And then when you get into it, you realize, oh, yeah, they didn't include things like your car allowance. They didn't include things like commissions. Um, you know, maybe they didn't account for a huge deal that was going to close on your end a week, you know, after you were let go, and that should be factored in. Or maybe there's bonuses to account for. Or, they don't continue your benefits. You know, they may say, we'll continue your benefits for just eight weeks, but we'll give you a package that reflects a year. 
well, ordinarily you'd want to try to align those two things, or maybe they forgot pension. So, yeah, again, you're absolutely right. There's a whole host of different items uh, that, that would make up someone's compensation or remuneration that a lot of employers will just omit, sometimes out of ignorance, or sometimes later on you realize, oh, they're, they're trying to pursue some argument against paying you that, and you know now we have to address that. But yeah, to your point, it's not just as easy as saying number of months looks great. You really got to boil down what that is in dollars and cents and, and you know, as I say, what other benefits and, and aspects like that are continued. Well, number two, termination for cause often results in a wrongful dismissal. Yeah. Yes. So when an employer considers a just cause termination, oftentimes in my experience, they fall short of the legal definition that's defined by our courts and by our legislation as far as just cause. Um, employers often incorrectly apply a just cause allegation or, or basis to a termination, and that does typically result in a wrongful dismissal. Um, a true termination for cause is going to happen when an employee commits the most serious of misconduct. Um, I think I had mentioned earlier in the show, uh, you know, as far as like PIPs and performance improvement plans are concerned, you know, oftentimes employers will try to let you go for cause on that basis. But, you know, in many cases or in most cases fall short. You know, it is known as the capital punishment of the employment law world. And so your your behavior can't simply be something relatively minor or trivial. It has to be very egregious. You know, the transgression or the issues have to be well documented. And um, in this situation, maybe, maybe a company can get away with not providing you with a severance package or as much uh, of a severance package. But, yeah, it's very rare to see that. Um, because of the effect it has and, and also the knock-on effect it can have on your EI benefits. Right. Um, if, you, if you get hit with a with cause termination, even if you dispute it, it's not to say that Service Canada is going to agree with you or the employer. You may have to fight on that ground. So unfortunately, I see it a lot um, uh, you know, in my line of work, um, but th- there really has to be this progressive disciplinary setup put in place, measures put in place, uh, and the employer's got to ultimately prove that there was literally nothing else that could be done. There was no lesser form of punishment. Um, there was no way for the relationship to be repaired. Uh, so, yeah, if you're someone in a situation where you have been let go for cause, definitely give us a call. Um, there is a good chance that they don't meet the definition and that by an extension, that is a wrongful dismissal. Because, of course, they haven't paid you probably enough severance either. And that's why I go back to the main basis for that term. By the way, help at employmentlawyer.ca is that email address to reach out to Chris. We're talking about five facts to know about wrongful dismissal. Number three, a big one, major change to your job can lead to a severance package. Just don't ignore it, right? Yeah. You know, I say this uh, time and time again. It's it's a huge one. But if your employer does suddenly change where you work, what you do, how much you get paid, when you work, uh, without your consent, without your agreement, that's that's the problem, and, and that's likely a breach of the employment relationship. Um, your employer, not by virtue of their words, but by virtue of their actions in making these changes without your approval, um, has essentially fired you on a without cause basis and, and would therefore typically owe you full severance, which you can get through a constructive dismissal claim, a, a term that's um, often used in these shows as well, constructive dismissal. Now. There are complexities to this. You know, there are situations where, um, of course, you're going to need legal advice. Um, you, you do or should know um, exactly how you're going to approach your employer when it comes to these things. And getting that important legal advice is important because it can sort of give you that understanding of, okay, what steps do I need to do? 
how do I communicate to my employer? You know, do I, you know, just say no to it? Do I explain myself? Do I put it in writing? Which, of course, as I say, I always think you should do. But that's where the employment lawyer is going to come in and kind of assist you and guide you through that process. And we are talking about, uh, you know, things to know about wrongful dismissal, five facts, actually. If you're not familiar with the term, anytime after we're done the show, you can always reach out to Chris, too, right? one 821 5900 number four, you have two years to get your full severance, not the Friday deadline, so on and so forth, right? Two years, right? Yeah, and, and that's to say that you can't sit on this for more than two years. There's no second chance. Um, definitely, if you are coming to me and we're having a phone call, and you're telling me about all these violations that occurred 10 years ago, five years ago, even if they were true violations or breaches and things you may not have consented to, I mean, just the passage of time alone is going to make it pretty well impossible for any of that to be used to, to any great effect, likely. Um, so, so if you've been let go, if you have possibly left your job due to something that occurred within the workplace, and you're going to take the position that you're owed severance, for example, um, it's going to be two years from that date that you'll have to pursue a claim. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you don't want to pursue a claim. You want to get a lawyer involved to negotiate um, without having to go forward with a lawsuit with it, with litigation. Um, and, and that negotiation process can oftentimes take a few months at least, depending, again, on the situation. So, you also don't want to leave it too close to the two-year mark either. Otherwise, you're leaving literally no room for yourself to potentially negotiate with your employer and, and basically have to commence a lawsuit, which you know could, of course, come with added costs, added time. Um, but yeah, as far as also employers putting pressure on employees to sign packages, you know, oftentimes, again, you're going to get this termination letter that says, you know, here's the offer. You don't know if it's good or bad. You're wondering, you know, should I call a lawyer? Should I not? But I've got this seven day deadline that I've got to meet and I've only got a couple more days. Uh, you know, what do I do? I don't think people should panic in these situations. They need to realize that, um, this isn't the deadline. This isn't the true deadline in the vast, vast majority of cases. Uh, employers do want you to sign the package. They do want you to sign off on the severance that they're offering so that they know you can't come after them. Um, and that's why they are probably putting a little bit of pressure or employing rush tactics on you to sign it. Um, but that's usually only to their advantage. And and in most cases, they're not going to say to you, oh, if you don't get this in by the seven days, we are going to pull it off the table, the, the offer that is, because all that's generally going to do is increase the likelihood that a lawyer like me is going to tell you to sue them. So employers are very much incentivized to give some time. You know, they want that signature on that full and final release on that termination package. And, um, and and so, yeah, don't panic if you're in that scenario. Give us a call. Um, either we can ask for an extension on your behalf or I typically just tell people to send their lawyer or their employer, rather, a note that says, you know, I know the, de the deadline's coming up in a few days. I'd appreciate it if you could grant me maybe another week's extension so I can, you know, further review and consider my options. If you just send something like that to your employer, I find, you know, 99% of the time they say, yeah, no problem. And that's going to buy you some more time to consult with a lawyer. And then by that time, the lawyer can get involved if they need to be. And um, as I say, that deadline pretty much goes out the window. We'll get to uh, fact number five, but we'll do it on the other side of the break. Chris Justice also standing by and ready to answer those questions as we continue here with the Employment Law Show. Hang on. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. We're back. Thanks for hanging in. Skulls here and Chris Justice and Firu to Mark and LLP. Always encouraged to reach out to Chris. When we're uh, not on air here doing the show, and how do you go about doing that? You call for one 855 Help at employmentlawyer.ca or pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We have been going through our uh, facts, five uh, fast facts about wrongful dismissal. Final one on this list before we move on, Chris, is an experienced employment lawyer can help. In fact, I'll go one step further and say don't even make a move until they consult you or an employment lawyer and uh, get their facts straight, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've sort of been mentioning this throughout the show as far as the, the ways in which, you know, an experienced employment lawyer can help, uh, the value that, that someone like that would bring. Uh, and yeah, definitely think that for non-unionized employees, it's definitely in their best interest to contact a lawyer when they, say, lose their job, think they've been wrongfully dismissed. Maybe they're going through some issues in the workplace and want to know what their rights and options are moving forward. Um, you know, it may not even be because they need advice right now and there, but because they just want to know what they might expect, you know, down the road and, and sort of be able to anticipate that and then act in the best fashion possible. Um, you know, because employers are not just going to advocate for you or advise you, but as I said before, help navigate you through that process, you know, try to re- reduce stress. Um, try to have that downloaded all on the employer's back while you can either get back to where you were or find another job or focus your efforts in some other area in that sense. Um, you know, employment lawyers also are very good because a lot of times the alternative to that can be very detrimental. And, and what I mean by that is um, sometimes people choose to go through the Ministry of Labor um, for their help, you know, in the case that they've been wrongfully terminated or think that they're owed severance. And while the ministry can offer help, uh, it can only do so to a certain degree. Uh, the ministry is only going to be able to provide you with your um, bare minimum severance, which is oftentimes a lot different than your potential maximum. You know, there could be actually a scenario where an employee working for a relatively small business um, was let go after 40 years of employment and the Ministry of Labor can assist that employee in getting eight weeks of, of severance of, of notice pay. Um, but that employee has 40 years and the potential maximum for that employee could be two years. And so in that hypothetical, if you go through the Ministry of Labor, sure, you can get your eight weeks, but you're foregoing potentially 22 more months on top of that, which is something that an experienced experience employment lawyer can help you get. Um, and the last thing I'll just say on this is that if you've got an experienced employment lawyer on your side, you can have a much better chance of resolving things without the need for a lawsuit whatsoever. You know, in, in the vast majority of cases I deal with personally, I try to resolve things amicably. I try to avoid litigation if I can, and I try to just, you know, ensure that my client at the very least gets a fair and reasonable severance package. And with the benefit of having a lawyer on your side, especially from a firm like ours, you're going to have more leverage. There's going to be more incentive for the employers in general to, to settle. And in my experience, I've found that companies do tend to settle um, before going into litigation or a lawsuit of any kind. So, again, just another reason um, to, to get an experienced lawyer on your side. Isn't there also the fact that, I mean, if, if, if you decide to, you know, we'll take something as simple as, you know, first steps trying to increase your severance offer that's laid out in your package. 
If you just go into the office and say, yeah, you know what, I've used this calculator, I've talked to a few people, this is what I should be getting, can you increase it? The chances of them taking you seriously and saying, okay, well, no, now what are you going to do? I mean, unless you have legal representation, you're going to you're gonna fall short of getting any, making any serious ground on a potential improvement of your package, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, a lot of times people come in with this idea of what they think they're owed that is more than what they've been offered and try to negotiate themselves. And in some limited circumstances, I can see that being beneficial, uh, depending on, you know, who you are and the relationship you have with the company and, and, you know, I guess how good in general you are at negotiating. But for the vast majority of people, I think by doing that, first of all, you go in presenting them with an offer that may actually be lower than what an employment yeah. lawyer would advise you do, and you kind of you kind of cut yourself off in that sense because later on you go and get my advice. Well, they already know you were going to take half as much as what I was going to say you should start off by negotiating with. So that can definitely be a problem. And and yeah, like you say, if you try your hand at it, you don't succeed. You come to a lawyer, you get the lawyer to try their hand at it. There there sometimes can be a little leverage lost. Um, and, and, you know, obviously more time added on. So it, it's very limited circumstances. I'd probably recommend people do that. And I think for the most part, getting an employment lawyer involved is just going to do you uh, much better in terms of getting that full package and in terms of, you know, not saying or doing anything that you may not think is a problem, but later on is actually detrimental to your case. I want to talk about employee resignations here in a minute, but I want to bounce over an email we just got from uh, from Henry. He says, hey, Chris, my employer let me go a week after I came back from a medical leave. I just found an ad online where they posted for a replacement for me. Can they do this? Yeah, so immediately your alarm bells go off, um, question marks in your head. You know, did the fact that I was on a medical leave or the fact that I was returning from a medical leave have anything to do with my termination and if there's even one percent of the reason of you being let go had to do with something related to a medical leave um, or it doesn't even have to be that could be a maternity leave it could be a number of grounds under the human rights code but if there's any semblance of, of a link there um, then the employer is going to be in you know extreme hot water as far as being discriminatory or having acted discriminatory towards you which then opens up a huge kettle of fish in terms of um, human rights damages, um, not to mention your your severance entitlements that you would typically be awarded. So you've got, in those scenarios, the severance, which is a for sure thing, and then you've got this extraordinary damage claim as far as the human rights are concerned. Um, it, it is unfortunately something that happens far too often. A lot of employers will wait you know of course they may think to themselves i'm not dumb enough to let them go while they're off on a medical leave of absence but i'll wait for them to come back maybe get full clearance maybe not and and then just let them go at that point but that is is also not um often a wise thing to do um because like i say there could be situations where someone's coming back they've got a few modifications they just need in terms of accommodations are concerned the employer says hmm not really our thing, too much of a burden. We don't, it's too much of an inconvenience for us to have to accommodate you in that way. And so we're going to let you go. Um, and again, think that because you're now back from this leave or on some graduated return to work sort of situation that, that they're somehow absolved from it. Um, so that can be a huge problem. You know, the company's got to really prove that, you know, had they gone on a medical leave or not, the, the same outcome would have happened. And, yeah, that, that's very difficult to, to just sort of justify, and, and the optics just look terrible, of course. And that accommodation threshold's really quite high, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's not enough for for an employer just to say, you know, we're inconvenienced or we're, we're burdened by this. They've really got to show that by accommodating the employee in the way that they need, that the employer themselves is going through undue hardship. And and that concept, undue hardship, uh, it really does set a high bar, especially if you're a bigger company. You know, if you're if you're a smaller type mom and pop shop then you know there may be some more leniency given as far as in your situation what constitutes an undue hardship but for someone say as big as Walmart or Amazon or any of these larger corporations there's there's going to be more pressure on them generally to accommodate because of the resources they have and and how much less of a burden or inconvenience it would be to them so it's not enough you've really got to hit that threshold and as I say, a lot of employers either just don't know about it or are not willing to, to bend uh, in that direction and, and you know suffer the consequences. When we uh, return, we'll move on to employee resignations. That topic's going to cover the uh, last part of the show. As we continue right here in the Employment Law Show, hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And back at it here, Chris Justice is your guy uh, during and after the show. Of course, reach out to Chris anytime, discuss uh, your Employment law woes, you can do so. If a simple question's fine as well, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address. Let's get on to this, Chris, our second uh, topic of the hour to, uh, to take us to the, uh, the end of the show. Employee resignations. Number one, people should know an employer cannot force an employee to quit. That's the old, you know, I'll expect your resignation on my desk by end of day sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's well established that a resignation has to be voluntary. Uh, the the volu- In order to be voluntary, the resignation also has to be clear and unequivocal. Uh, you know, whether it's through somebody's words or their conduct, and, and that can be a bit tricky, uh, the evidence has to reflect the clear intention to resign. And the example you just gave as far as, you know, I'll expect your, your resignation on my desk, you know, by this day, clearly not a, a voluntary resignation. Uh, I've seen employers try to offer people money, you know, we'll give you two weeks, give us your resignation. Um, so there's a whole host of examples that I could probably think of where employers have put pressure on employees to quit. And again, that's just not going to fly. It's it's not useful and, and it's just going to likely be contested later on. So if you are an employer and you have done or said something that clearly can be seen as, as applying pressure or force to have someone resign, then chances are there's a termination and that employee is just going to be entitled to their full termination and severance pay. And uh, I wanted to bring up a, a case that came out not too long ago that is sort of an example of where a resignation is not clear and unequivocal. Um, there, there was a case a few years back where there was an employee actually in her early 60s and she was contemplating an early retirement um, after learning that she would need to train on a new computer system like from her employer she gave her supervisor notice that she would be retiring at the end of the year um, the supervisor asked her if she was really sure about quitting or retiring and her response was quote not totally unquote um, the supervisor told this woman that she could change her mind um, and then about a few weeks later, the company announced that they would not be going forward with that computer conversion, with the change in the computers that I think was posing an issue for this older woman. 
And so after getting that notice from the company that, oh, actually, we're not going to go forward with this with this computer stuff, uh, the employee herself had withdrew her notice of resignation. Um, now, the company refused the, the withdrawal, saying that they were going to, quote unquote, honor her retirement notice. And at the end of the day, the court found that this was not a clear and unequivocal resignation, that the company was actually bound by that supervisor's promise that the employee could change her mind. And also because the, 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 note, the resignation rather was based on the computers, that changed um, and she had backed out in time. The court found that this was acceptable, that there was no resignation, and ultimately that her termination was wrongfully terminated, or it was rather her employment was wrongfully terminated. So yeah, just an example of where you could have someone that actually resigns on a set of conditions or in the future and then back out of that, and then a lot of times I'll find employers just say, no, we've accepted it, it's too late, but in reality, actually, a wrongful dismissal has occurred. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing with the whole wrongful dismissal, and sometimes you've heard stories of, you know, someone has a really bad day at work, <clears> they <throat> blow a gasket, they snap, they said, I've had enough of this place, screw this, I'm out of here, I'm done. And that heat-of-the-moment resignation, especially if recalled quickly, may not actually stick, yeah? Yeah, so again, another sort of instance where someone may say something or do something that could um, could be interpreted as a resignation, um, but then when you look at the context, I was saying earlier that context is important, you look at the context and you find, yeah, maybe it is in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, there's some highly charged emotional event that happens, uh, you know, somebody storms off or says something in that heat of the moment, you know, shouting at somebody, clearly upset, uh, along the lines of what could be perceived as a resignation. But in these sort of highly charged moments, I, I think the onus, and I think the courts are going to expect this as well, the onus is going to be on the employer not to just simply accept this almost spontaneous declaration, you know, without actually considering and deliberating on it. You know, a lot of employers will just jump the gun and say, you know, uh, we, we, we thought you would quit on that Thursday when you stormed off. We didn't bother checking in on you. We just figured you were done with us. And that's not necessarily the best approach to take for employers. So they've got to kind of be uh, mindful when it comes to these scenarios, not jump the gun, and actually try and question the employee's state of mind and their intentions and try to get clarity because, again, it has to be clear and unequivocal. So get that clarity after things have maybe boiled down because, again, a lot of employees may sort of cool off, come back, apologize, and go forward, and, and the employer is going to have a lot harder of a time to then say, no, again, we've accepted your resignation, you know, see your way out. Here's another one, too. Failing to accept an employee's notice of resignation on the terms offered all right, triggers a wrongful dismissal. Yeah, so let's say that an employee approaches the company and says, I'm giving you guys six months notice of my resignation. I'm leaving in six months, just flat out. And then the employer, rather than saying, okay, we accept your six months, uh, we'll, we'll have you work that time and then you can leave. Instead, the employer says, uh, no, we'll accept your resignation, but actually your last day is going to be tomorrow or your last day is going to be a week from now. And at that point, we're not going to pay you anymore. You're going to be done. We're going to be done and, and nothing further will be given. So, so you've kind of got this employee saying, this is what I want. The employer 
ultimately says no and says this is what we're going to do. And so the employer didn't actually accept the employee's resignation. What they did was they terminated that employee's employment without cause. Um, and again, there's case law uh, that's, that's gone before the courts and, and decisions have come out where this has actually happened, where a wrongful dismissal was held because the employer sort of just said, no, forget that, this is what's going to happen, hugely cut down that notice period, and then, as I say, find themselves having to pay out severance. You know what, I think we got time for uh, one final call. we got a minute to get this uh, done, minute and a half. Chris, what's going on, pal? Make it quick. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll make it quick. Okay, hi. I've got a 93-year-old mother. Uh, she's got a caregiver with her at home for about seven years, I'm going to say, and the day is going to come, right, like when, when, when my mom dies, and we're not sure what we're supposed to do with regarding the caregiver. On the one hand, she's been a good employee, so we would want to give her some sort of a, a package or something, but we have a sneaking suspicion that some of her friends and relatives are wanting her to go after more. So we're trying to figure out two things. What, how do we figure out what's a reasonable termination amount in this situation, number one, and number two, can we get and should we get some sort of a, I don't even know what the word is, but a termination agreement saying, here it is, here's your money, thank you for your service, uh, don't come back for more. Not in those words, but you know what I mean. Yeah, did she ever sign any contract of employment of any sort? No, no, no. Okay. Well, no, I, 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 I was going to say, I would definitely recommend something be drafted. If someone's going to be let go, you want to set it out very clearly. You want to get them to sign a full and final release in exchange for what's being offered. But I would say, give us a call. Give my law firm a call. I'd happily go through the situation with you and, and figure out the best way to approach this and, and the best way to sort of address your needs, but also the caregiver's needs at the same time and hopefully come to a resolution there. And we got to run. Chris, thank you so much. I'll wrap up with the uh, phone number, which you're going to use, obviously, based on that short call, one 821 5900 You can try help at employmentlawyer.ca through email and moving forward, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here in the Employment Law Show. Enjoy your weekend. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.